Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the testimony of Paul Murdoch's close friend, William McElveen. In this installment, we take a look at the testimony of Natasha Moody, an employee of Bank of America, and Jamie Hall, a gunshot residue analyst. That's all coming up, right after the break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. It is the late afternoon of February 6th, 2023, day 9 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. In our last episode, we reviewed the testimony of William McElveen, a young man who spent many hours with the Murdoch family through his friendship with the defendant's murdered son. As we begin today, the prosecution calls Natasha Moody to the stand. Ms. Moody is a woman in her 30s. She sports brown crochet curls and wears dark framed glasses with a black blazer over a blue shirt with white lateral stripes. Prosecutor Johnny James handles the questioning for the state. He begins by asking the witness to offer the jury some biographical information about herself. Ms. Moody, where are you from? Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And for whom do you work? Bank of America, N.A. What do you do for Bank of America, N.A.? I am a Consumer Resolution Associate. Consumer Resolution Associate. What does a Consumer Resolution Associate do? I uh, manage a portfolio of litigated matters. I appear on behalf of the bank for trials, depositions, mediations, and I also uh, review our business records on a daily basis. Your business records. Were you asked to review business records for Bank of America NA in relation to this case? I was. I did. Prosecutor James hands the witness a stack of small papers. I am showing you three items labeled for identification as states exhibit 415, 416, and 417. Do you recognize these items? I do. And how do you recognize them? Um, I reviewed them and I also initialed them. And generally speaking, what are these items? Uh, these are uh, documents for this case, um, opening account documents, monthly statements for various accounts, and copies of checks for this account, for various accounts. So are they bank records? Yes. Our state moves to introduce uh, exhibits 415, 416, and 417 into evidence at this time, my understanding with uh, subject to uh, any objections from your honor's previous ruling off today. 
Judge Clifton Newman invites the defense to raise any objection, and Dick Harpudlian rises. Part of the admission of these records, I would ask you to uh, give whatever cautionary charge you're going to do. Judge Clifton Newman obliges the request. All right. Happy to. Ladies and gentlemen, um, evidence or testimony is about to be offered that the defendant may have been involved in other criminal activity, and that evidence is not evidence or proof that he committed the offenses charged in the indictments. This testimony has been allowed and is being allowed for the limited purpose of assisting the state in proving motive. You may not consider this evidence for purposes of character of Mr. Murdoch, nor may you consider this evidence as evidence of his propensity to commit other crimes, or that it is more likely that he committed the crimes with which he is currently on trial. It is being allowed based on the state's representation that it helps explain the defendant's motive to commit the crimes for which he is accused. And you may proceed. Johnny James continues his questioning of Miss Moody. Very briefly, Miss Moody, we had three discs that are uh, now in evidence. Uh, what uh, what information is on that first disc? You indicated that was bank records. Um, do you have any additional uh, information to describe those bank records? I do, but I don't have the discs in front of me. Prosecutor James, in succession, hands a series of discs to the witness and asks her questions about each one. Showing you state's exhibit labeled 415, uh, what uh, records are on that disc? They are checking account ending, it involves checking accounts, and I can give you the uh, last four digits of those. If you would, please. Um, checking account ending in the last four digits is 6779. Um, it has account opening documents. Um, for that one. The next one is account ending in 7991, and those are account opening documents for that account. And then checking account ending in 7625, and that's account opening documents for that account. And then also monthly statements and supporting documents for the, all three accounts. Thank you. Now showing you States Exhibit 416, what's on this disc? Uh, these are credit card ending in 9559, and um, those are uh, monthly statements in that and um, account opening application documents. And States Exhibit 417, what's on that disc? Also another credit card ending in 8591, um, and these are application accompanying documents and monthly statements for this account. Dick Harpudlian stipulates that the defense has no objection to the admission of these items into evidence, and Judge Newman releases the witness without further questioning. After Ms. Moody leaves the courtroom, the state calls Jamie Hall to the witness stand. Ms. Hall appears to be in her 30s and sports long auburn hair parted on her right side. She wears an unbuttoned red cardigan sweater over a white blouse. Prosecutor John Metters handles the questioning for the state. Again, the prosecutor begins by asking the witness to offer the jury some biographical information about herself. What do you work? I'm currently employed at the West Columbia Police Department as an evidence custodian. How long have you been there? Um, since April of 2022. Will you please tell the ladies and gentlemen of this jury about Jamie Hall? Some ups to your background, as personal background as you want to. I'll leave that to you, but specifically um, your education and background that led you to law enforcement. 
Yes, sir. Uh, I grew up in the Midlands area of South Carolina. Uh, upon graduating high school, I attended Clemson University and obtained my bachelor's of science degree in wildlife and fisheries biology. After that, I spent a couple years um, traveling and working some various jobs. I moved back to the area in um, 2013 and began looking to start a career and ended up at SLED in 2015 as an administrative assistant in the trace evidence department in the forensic services laboratory. Uh, I was an administrative assistant until 2017 when I became a forensic technician too um, in the trace evidence lab. When did you graduate Clemson? Uh, sorry, in 2010. After you traveled some, you started working in SLED in what year? In 2015. Okay, what was your job then? I was an administrative assistant. And what, what does that mean? Um, for the trace evidence department, that involved answering phone calls, filing documents, pretty much normal administrative duties. Did you further your education or your experiences while you were at SLED in that field? Uh, no, sir. Um, when I became the technician in 2017, that's when I began, began the in-house training um, for that career. Tell us about the in-house training when uh, you became the, the forensic technician. Yeah, so that training involved oral and practical examinations in-house in under the supervision of an analyst in which I learned um, how to properly handle the evidence and process the evidence for potential GSR. I also oversaw some testimonies of some analysts to be familiar with courtroom policies as well. And I took some outside training from Hook College in Chicago as well. Hook College Hook. in Chicago? Hook, yes, sir. What, what was that training? Um, it was... It was training um, regarding the scanning electron microscope, which is used for GSR analysis. That's, the acronym is SEM for that? Yeah, SEM, yes, sir. And when did you leave SLED? Uh, in March of 2022. You're working where now? At uh, the West Columbia Police Department. West Columbia Police Department. And you are there what? Evidence custodian. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Prosecutor John Metters continues his examination of Ms. Hall by asking her what her position was at the time of the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. Now, um, back in June of 2021, you were a forensic mm -hmm. technician for SLED. Yes, sir. In, in special agent, forensic technician? How no, sir, I was not considered an agent or considered law enforcement. I was just the forensic technician, too. Okay. So then, in June of 2021, what was your job on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, my primary role in the trace evidence department as a forensic technician was to prepare evidence for GSR analysis. That includes GSR kits as well as inanimate objects that came in for potential GSR testing. And we're going to have Ms. Fletcher testify right after you, but what is a GSR kit? 
Um, a GSR kit is um, an envelope that goes out to um, officers or investigators so that they can collect on scene um, from a potential suspect's hands. Um, and it involves, it has all the items they need, gloves, so that they can make sure they're not contaminating the subject's hand. Um, and then the little vials that contain the GSR particle lifts with a double-sided adhesive that's used to dab across their hands to pick up any potential GSR. So those are kind of done in the field, if you will? Yes, sir. After a local law, law enforcement agency uses one of these kits, what happens to it? When they decide that they need it analyzed, they submit it to the laboratory. And then when it comes into the laboratory, I prepare it for analysis. So that involves me making sure it's been properly sealed and initialed, handled properly, the correct kit. There are some a variety of kits out there. Um, our lab has particular kits that we accept, so I make, confirm that it is an acceptable kit. And I also confirm that um, it was collected within the allowed time frame. On a, a living person, we're touching things all the time um, and possibly contaminating or removing the GSR. So we do have a six hour time limit on kits collected from individuals. So if a kit comes into SLED or your possession, do you check to see if it was collected during that six-hour time period? Yes, sir, I do. And how do you do that? Uh, we have what we call an information worksheet include, included in each GSR kit that the officer fills out that includes the time or the estimated time that the shooting occurred, as well as the time that the kit was collected. Prosecutor Metters hands Ms. Hall a manila envelope. I'm going to show you what is March State 13. Can you tell if you were involved with State 13? And if you can, uh, how can you tell? Yes, sir. This has the unique SLED lab number and item number. Um, and it also has my initials on the day that I processed it. 6821JEH. Yes, sir. What's the E stand for? Elizabeth. Court, would you open this, please? Ms. Hall removes a small white bag from the envelope. Did you examine State 13? Uh, yes, sir. Again, it also has my date and initials um, from the day that I processed it. Your initials again, J E H. Yes, sir. 6821? Yes, sir. And when you're processing this, tell us again, what are you looking to see, whether it's what's done or not, or just t tell us what you Okay. Okay. Um, so for a GSR kit, um, I start by what using what we call an inventory worksheet. And on that worksheet, what I'm doing is um, confirming the manufacturer of the kit as well as the lot number for the kit. They have lot numbers for quality control purposes to make sure they're not contaminated. Um, before they're used for collection. I'm confirming who the kit was collected from that six hour time frame. Um, and during that time, I also label the individual particle lifts inside with the unique lab number, item number, date and initials um, for control purposes. And I believe it's a sheet that's been entered where Barnado collected this GSR kit from the defendant. Are you aware of that? Um, are you referring to the gunshot residue analysis information sheet? That's exactly what I'm referring to. Yes, sir. That's what I would have um, used to confirm the six-hour time frame. And it's in evidence already. I'm not sure exactly what number, but do you have that? Yes, sir, I do. Okay. And, it, it, and this is already, if you'll trust me, this has already been um, entered into evidence. Um, did you use this in examining, determining whether this was collected properly? Yes, sir, I did. It also has my date and initials on it. So using the form, show these ladies and gentlemen what you did. How you came up and... Oh. So yeah, um, there's um, a section here at the bottom. So we have the subject's name from whom it was collected. And who is that? Um, this one says Richard Alexander Murdoch, um, as well as the time and date the shooting occurred, 6, 7, 21, 10 p.m. And that's information that's gathered at the scene from somebody, right? Yes, sir. This particular kit says that it was filled out by collecting officer Brian Vandor. Sorry if I messed that that's up. Good. That's good. <laughs> 
Um, and then at the bottom, the collecting officer um, has also signed and dated um, that it was collected at six, on 6-7-21 at 11-15 p.m. And would that 11-15 fit in the time period where you're saying, okay, well, I can pass this on to be analyzed? Yes, sir. It's an hour and 15 minutes. And so not taking away from what's your job at all, but one of your jobs is to make sure that's done correctly? That's yes, sir. And then do you inspect the uh, vials, if you will, to make Yes, sir. Sure? I make sure that there's nothing out of the ordinary with them. Um, occasionally, you might would have a little crack in the vial, but I've never had anything damaged. So in your opinion, these were collected properly and you passed them on for, for analysis? To the best of my knowledge, yes, sir. Local agencies that you uh, examine items for potential evidence, in this case, gunshot residue, how do they get to your the lab? Um, typically, the officers from the local agency um, submit them through our evidence control department. And once they're submitted that way, um, that's when they're assigned their unique lab number and item numbers for each piece of evidence. Um, and then based on the type of analysis that that agency requested, um, we would get notice that it needs to be processed. And so I would pick it up from evidence control and bring it upstairs to the trace lab to begin the processing. And it, it, it's all that documented from local agency to y'all and where it goes from there? Um, I can't attest to what the outside agencies do. I believe it probably varies agency to agency. But once it's been logged into our system downstairs, it is tracked throughout the, the laboratory for every hand that touches it. That's kind of what we refer to as a chain, correct? Yes, sir. It's chain referred to as the chain of custody. Chain of custody. Now, did you have some other items of potential evidence in this case that you examined? Yes, sir. I had several other items. Okay. I'm going to show you what's marked. Ask me if you can just identify this, Ms. Hall, and does it relate to your testimony? John Metters hands Ms. Hall a large square evidence box. Well, I can no longer see my initials, but um, I did process items that were in container D, and this is marked with container D for this case number, yes, sir. And you, would you open it up then to see if yes. you can further find your mark with the court's permission? After Ms. Hall opens the box, Murdoch attorney Jim Griffin approaches the stand and observes as Metters pulls a series of evidence items from the box. After Griffin and Metters stipulate as to the evidence labeling and numbering, Metters hands the evidence items to Ms. Hall in numerical sequence. Your lab number 21 contained in states 418 at this point for identification, do you recognize that? Uh, yes, I recognize it as the lab item number 20. And what is lab item number 20? It was a brown paper bag containing one pair of green cargo shorts. And also contained in 418. Lab number 21, can you tell me if you recognize that? Yes, sir, it's lab number, or item number for this case, uh, 19, which was a brown paper bag containing one white t-shirt. Got all 418 without objection. Admit it. Look at 423, 424, and 425. Do you recognize these, and do they relate to what you're talking about right now? Yes, sir, these are um, PGSR collection worksheets um, from clothing that I generate during my process of collecting from inanimate objects. Inanimate objects? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, let's start with the shirt, 423. Yes, sir. Tell these folks what you did with the shirt. Um, so anytime we're processing clothing or an inanimate object in the lab, we start by making sure everything's been thoroughly cleaned, and we also place down parchment paper to just as an extra um, check and balance to make sure there's nothing um, contaminating the evidence. We also place what we call a clothing blank out onto the table where we are processing 
That's just another one of those double-sided adhesive stubs, and it's left open and exposed to the environment to make sure there's no contamination in the environment. That's how I start all of my clothing. Then I confirm that everything is um, adequately sealed and documented, and I open my items and lay them out on the parchment paper. I photograph items, and then I do label those items for identification later if needed, and then I will sample the clothing item uh, closest in the areas that would be closest to the discharge of the firearm. So in this case, we're talking about a t-shirt. So I will sample the right chest and sleeve area together and the left chest and left sleeve together. So if you want to draw a line down your midline for right and left, and then we typically go down to just below the chest area. And is that what you do with every shirt? Yes, sir. If it's a long sleeve garment, I would typically use a separate particle lift for the chest area and the arms just because the adhesive doesn't last quite as long. And if you said this, I apologize, I'm tired. Why are you doing those areas? It's closest to the discharge of a firearm. Potential discharge, so that's where you test. Yes, sir. Well, looking at the shirt, look 418, the shirt that's contained in here. Before you get to doing the particle lifts, what's the first thing you do? I confirm um, what the item is and that it's properly sealed and initial. Do you open it? After I clean, I open it. Yes, sir. And do you make observations of items when you first open it? Uh, yes, sir. Anything that seems out of the ordinary for any item is documented on the worksheet in the comments section. And you have a comment section. That's where you put your thoughts, right? Yes, sir. Anything that may, um, again, be out of the ordinary or affect the analysis later. Prosecutor Metters places the witness's analysis worksheet on the courtroom monitor. He points to her notes regarding the defendant's Haynes t-shirt collected from him on the night of the murders. He asks her to tell the jury what those notes were. In item 19 what are your comments underneath there? Uh, small reddish brown stains observed. Shirt had an odor of laundry detergent. What do you mean by that, an odor of laundry detergent? It, it just um, smelled freshly laundered, which is not typical uh, of the lab. Typically, clothing smells slightly musky when we get it. And you examined this shirt when? On June 8th of 2021. Now, you didn't know. Did you have any knowledge about this case whatsoever? I just knew that we had asked to make it a priority in the lab. And you, you attempted to collect particle lists from that shirt? I did collect particle lists from the shirt, yes, sir. States 425. Sorry, we're out of order here. This is also your clothing work sheet. Um, can I see the top of that sheet? I'm sorry. Oh, yes, sir. And what was this uh, that you examined? This was the worksheet we generated uh, when we collected from a seatbelt that was collected from a 2021 Chevy Suburban South Carolina tag CZL420. John Metters hands the witness another small evidence box. The seatbelt states 100. Can you look at this and see if you haven't examined that before? Does it relate to your testimony? Uh, yes, sir. This was sled item number 142, and it also has my date and initials on it as well. All right. What did you do with stakes 100? Uh, at the direction of the analyst, Megan Fletcher, I collected samples from various areas on the seatbelt. As Ms. Hall answers John Metter's next question, the prosecutor begins to retrieve the seatbelt and latch plate from the evidence box. Can you tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury, how did you determine where you were going to collect samples? Um, since this was not our typical item, I collected from areas in which Megan instructed me to collect. Which was where? Um, we collected from the buckle, three different areas of the belt, and the latch plate. Can you show the jury where you collected? Yeah. So um, this, I believe, was what we call the latch plate. Okay. Sorry if I'm misspeaking on that. but And then um, the buckle was this area here and we did the top and bottom of it 
and the three sections were just, um, we measured the length for each section, did a section, rolled more out, and did the next section. And how were you actually doing it with the particle lifts? How were you collecting them? So, uh, as stated before, the particle lifts have a double-sided adhesive on it, and you just repeatedly dab that across the garment or the item that you're collecting until it loses its adhesive abilities. 100, we'd offer your honor. No objection, your honor. And looking back on the uh, sheet this noted here, that's where you went through and did your inventory sheet, correct? Yes, sir. And this is to document you did what you did, right? Yes, sir. Now, did you also have occasion to uh, examine the pants in this case? It's already, I believe, in evidence. I did um, a collect from some cargo shorts. And those were also included on what I just took down off the Elmo. But can you tell the folks where you collected or tried to collect lifts off the cargo shorts and why you collected in those areas? Um, yes, sir. For any type of pants or shorts, we always collect from the right growing and the left growing area. Again, that's the area that's closest to the discharge of a firearm. And that's standard. That's what you do. That is standard practice. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we conclude our review of the testimony of Jamie Hall. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.